Yes, we have Bibles, and what we're going to do right now is we're going to continue on looking at the miracles of Elisha. Elisha was a prophet in Israel. He followed Elijah. And just to kind of remind you and set the stage, Elijah was a picture before Jesus ever came of Jesus, of God coming down. God sent Elijah to to deal with people's sin. The, The nation was full of sin. They were full of idolatry. And Elijah came to deal with that. But then Elisha followed, and Elisha pictures the church, all of God's servants who would be filled with God's very spirit, who could go out through the world and minister to the people and teach the people and, and love people the same way that the master did. So Elisha followed Elijah, and there's always this connection between the two. But Elijah disappeared, didn't he? Uh, uh, Chariots of fire came down, took Elijah up into heaven, just like Jesus was taken up into heaven. We would be like, oh, it'd be so nice if Jesus was still here. It'd be so much better if he was still here. But Jesus is like, no, no, you guys can do more than I could do. And the same things that I could do because I'm going to fill you with what? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we can't understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit that he's given us. He's given us his word. We can't understand it. We can't, we can't preach. We can't evangelize. We can't love our spouses or our kids or our family without the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. But without the Holy Spirit, we are just men. But with the Holy Spirit, we're men filled with God's life. And that is so amazing. That's why we praise him. That's why God puts it in our heart to praise him. And maybe you have a hard time praising the Lord. Maybe it's just that you need more of his spirit. Well, how do you get more of his spirit? You invite him. You ask. You humble yourself and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you. So that's the, the, been the general context of everything we've been looking at as we've been going through these miracles. And we're in the sixth miracle of Elisha today. So would you join me in praying? as we ask the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts so that we can understand this mysterious word that he's given us. Father, we thank you for your love and your promise that if we would ask you and come to you, and as we open your word, that that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We call upon you to answer that promise right now. We ask you to fill us with your spirit. We're not asking in pride or judging you. Lord, we want to hear from you what you have for us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, the last miracle and this miracle are tied together. They go together. And the last miracle was the pot of oil. And you remember that? He goes to the, the, uh, the widow's house and there was, uh, she was broke and the creditors wanted to take her children, her two sons. They wanted to take their lives as payment for the debt that her dead husband had left for her that she had acquired this debt somehow. And we saw that Elijah said, okay, what do you have in the house? And she said, a pot of oil. And he said, okay, get as many empty vessels as you can and fill them up with that pot. So it was a miracle. She would take and she would fill the, a, a vessel with the oil and it would still be oil. And she'd fill that one. And then she'd take the next one and fill it up, take the next one, fill it up. And it filled every single vessel that she had. And Elisha said, now take that, sell it, and pay your debt, and then live on the rest. And this, that miracle taught us, and we spent a whole week, last, or two weeks ago, because we did Christmas last week, we did 
a whole week studying how that represented for you and for me God's redemption, that God will redeem us when we are broke, when we have nothing, when we are bankrupt, when we are lost and dead, God saves us. And it was a good study. We, we learned how God always comes to the rescue of those who will call out to him. Always. And he, he comes to our, recu- our rescue with this miraculous grace when we need it the most. And it doesn't matter how much debt you have, his grace can cover it. And today, we're going to look at the second half of this miracle, which is how God's grace changes us after we're saved. We talk about this a lot in our church, but this miracle just so happens to be about this, so we're going to dive in to it today. And this process of us changing is called sanctification. The first day that we came to know the Lord, we realized we were sinners and we called out to him and he said, done, your sin is done. You are washed clean. You believe in Jesus and he pronounces us innocent. That is called justification. Justification. The simple way to remember justification is you just kind of make it into a sentence. It's just as if I never sinned. Okay? Just as if I never sinned. Justification. But that just happens on a day. It's a fixed point in time. What do we do when we wake up the next morning? Well, we have a brand new heart that longs to do what's right, and we know what's right and wrong now in our hearts, and we begin a process of growth and change. And so that first day is called justification. Every day after that is a process called sanctification. It's the process of becoming more holy. That justification event happened by the Holy Spirit. Did you do anything to save yourself? No, not at all. Sanctification happens by how hard you try. Wrong! Oh, I was expecting people to start jumping and yelling and screaming. No, it doesn't happen by how hard you try. But I think you may have heard that before. If you haven't heard it on TV from preachers or from poorly educated teachers, you've heard it from your own heart who has told you, I got to, I got to do better. I got to try a bit harder today. I really messed up yesterday. You know what? I'm going to dig down. I'm going to put my best effort in today. And that's how I will accomplish sanctification. And what happens when we do that? We fail miserably we fail every time because you can't save yourself and you can't change yourself. We can't. No matter how many 12-step programs tell you that you can change yourself, you can't. It's against God's law and God's ways. He says, I will change you, but you can't do it apart from me. I will literally stand against you and I will keep you from having success if you're trying to get it on your own way. But I'm trying to go to a 12-step program. I'm trying to change my life. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. God says, you're not going to succeed because you're doing it apart from me. I designed you to work only with this kind of gasoline. Not whatever you want to do. Only through me can you live. Life comes from me, and this is my requirement. You have to live through me. So sanctification is by the Spirit. Justification is is when we're first made alive. It's like a plant coming out of the ground after that seed has been planted. 
You believe the gospel, that's that seed going into your heart and starting to grow. But sanctification is the fruit that comes later in the life of the plant. The fruit, the purpose of that plant is to produce fruit, right? So bearing fruit. And there's a bridge verse that helps us to see to, to, to link these two stories together. It was the last verse we looked at last week, which was in chapter 4 and verse uh, 7, where he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. That's the justification. And then you and your sons live on the rest. That's the sanctification. Life, a daily life provided by God through his Holy Spirit. That's the link that that links these two stories together. God's supply is available to us every day. It's the same oil. Do you see that in this story? It's the same oil. God doesn't use a different picture for what we need after we get saved. We still need the life of Jesus every single day. Okay? So we start now with our text for today. That was all just introduction. Get ready. Chapter eight, chapter four, verse eight. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem and there was a notable woman. So last week there was this widow, a woman who was poor. This week we meet a notable woman, someone who is okay. She, she's got some resources. She's kind of well off. Everything is kind of okay with her. She's, we're going to find out she even knows what the right thing to do is. She's got a heart of a servant. She's an okay person. This is, this, she's just okay. And it says, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by that he would turn there and eat some food. So this woman, she's, she's uh, involved in serving God, which means she's involved in ministry. And she likes serving people. She definitely has a changed heart. She's, she's not all selfish. She's a good, good person. She's been made alive, and she's doing some good works. But something is missing. Something's missing. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. And let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. So it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So here she's a little Martha Stewart decorating a little room. She's super excited about all the decorations, and she notes the table and the chair. She's got to have it all, right? This is a great idea, though. She sees a way to bless God's servant, God's messenger, and, and she has the initiative to actually do it. She thinks about the needs and welfare of someone else, and she sacrifices for them. And this is all so good, all real good. She does a good job of serving God, but something is missing. Something is missing. Uh, if I just ended the story here, I wouldn't know what was missing. But it goes on. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and he laid down there and he said to Gehazi, his servant, you know what, call that Shulamite woman, Shunamite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? What do you want me to speak on your behalf? Do, do you want me to speak to your behalf on, uh, for the, to the king or to the commander of the army? 
And she answered, uh, you know, I dwell among my people. So Elijah right here, Elisha, is being used to help her and to bless her. Again, who does Elisha represent? The church in our lessons, right? And when you are involved in serving here at church, you will be blessed also. So Elisha, he's busy going around the whole country serving, but he's really blessed by this. And so Elisha asks her some interesting questions, and he does this to draw out of her what this missing thing was. Have you ever seen someone serving at church, and they're like this? Hey, how's it going? What's up? Oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's cool. Yeah, let's go worship the Lord. It's like, are you drunk? (laughs) Elisha, you cannot hide when you're faking it. You can't hide when there's something deep down inside that's missing. You can't hide it. I can't hide it. And so what do we do? We stay home from church. We decide, I'm tired. I'm going to watch football. Because football doesn't judge me (laughs) for not having a happy smile on my face. That's not the solution. The solution is to actually have joy. The solution is to actually be healed and set free. The solution is to actually be happy. But we don't know where to do that. But the church's job is to explain to people, love Jesus with all your heart, worship him, and you will have joy. Trust him, and joy will be showered upon you. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy more than his fellows. And what do you think that means? In our language today, that means Jesus was the happiest person to ever live. Now, Jesus owned nothing. He was betrayed. He was ignored. He was ah, beaten, murdered, and tortured, and pretty much everything that could go wrong in a life went wrong in his life, but he was the happiest person to ever live. How do those things go together? Elisha is drawing out of her what is missing. He's asking her these questions. What, what do you really want? So he even asks her, do you want some royal treatment? Do you want me to talk to the king for you? Do you want some protection? I know women need protection. Do you need some protection? Is that really what's missing in your life? He's asking these questions to lead her to what's really missing. And she says, I dwell among my own people. And that means I'm not upset about my place in life or or where my life is going. I'm content. I know I'm saved and I'm happy with that. Oh, really? You don't look happy. That's what I picture him saying. I'm not looking to get famous or have a better life necessarily. But Elisha knows there's something missing because she's not joyful. 
So we said to her, so we said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. Okay, so the problem is her husband, right? That's always the problem with why a wife is upset. It comes out, it's her husband. She doesn't have a son. He's, he's failed her in that way. Oh my gosh. So he said, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. So she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. She said, you got to be kidding me, is what she says right there. Now, but the woman conceived and bore a son at the point of time of which Elisha had told her. So Elisha finally discovers what, um, what is missing in her life. And the answer is, life was missing. Life was missing. There's something about ministry that's very important for us to know. As we're a small church right now, and God is blessing us, we're, we're growing, and there's people growing, but there's something very important for us to know. This church needs to be alive. Every church needs to be alive. You guys have all heard of the dead church. There's even a letter to them in the book of Revelation to Sardis, the dead church, right? But we need to be an alive church. And the life that happens in ministry is a supernatural gift of God. It is not something we can work for. And it is not something that we can plan for. And it is not something that we can obtain by our own, how hard we pray or how much we're on our knees or how much we want it. It is only ever a gift of God, a miracle. We can serve God so often for years and years and there's just something missing. Like this woman, she's been serving God. She's been doing nice things. She's been helping people out, but it's just not alive. There's something missing. There's something wrong. But it's the supernatural grace of God that produces this life. So would you look with me real quick at John chapter 15, verse 8. In John 15, verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. What kind of plants produce fruit? Living ones. They just have to be alive. To be, that's, that's the only requirement. They can be ugly. They can be from Colorado. They can have gray hair. They can have, they can have uh, so many problems. They just have to be alive. That's the only prerequisite for what plants can, can grow fruit. And it's impossible without God, but with God, it will happen. It's not just for the gifted and talented. This is God's will for you and for me and for our church. And he has made provision for his will by giving us the Holy Spirit. This is how this fruit is produced in our life. It's not our efforts. What is bearing fruit for Christians? It's this change that we go through. And, and the end of it is in Galatians chapter 5. It says the fruit of the Spirit is, anyone know? Love. And it goes on to describe what love looks like. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the list we have. That's the fruit that, that it needs to be seen in the life 
of each believer. And if it's not, we need the Holy Spirit to give it to us. You can't try to be a more loving person. You know what that turns into? You get bitter or you seem fake. We hate fake people. We hate hypocrites. Or we don't like them very much. They annoy us. And so God doesn't want us to be fake. He wants to truly be fruitful. To truly be fruitful. It's abundantly available. Barrenness in a Christian spirituality is not the will of God. And he never leaves us in, this, in that state. So what does God want to see in our life? Fruit. How can we produce that fruit? By our own efforts? We can't. How do we produce it? God does it for you. So this message that we have right now just gives us a ton of hope and encouragement that it doesn't depend on you, your fruit. It bypasses all your weakness. Jesus tells us just a couple verses before in John 15, 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the, va- as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Well, except for the 10-step programs. You do those, you can do those without me, and then you'll have success. No, we reject it. There can be no healing outside of Jesus. Does any other religion work? No, they don't. They will not, they can't. Because Jesus says you can only do it through me. He's the only one that has life. He's the only one that created us. So he's the only one whose breath and life can enter into us to make us alive, to bear fruit. Now there can be self-efforts, but they are a false fruit. It's like eating one of those plastic bananas and those plastic banana things on your table. They're disgusting. So how do you abide in Christ? BK, how do you abide in Christ? F and H. Faith and humility. Faith and humility. I, I, pu- I pulled out a verse real quick. I'll just read it to you. Isaiah 66, verse 2. For all these things my hand has made, and all, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit who trembles at my word. Poor and contrite speaks of humility. Trembling at my word speaks of faith. I believe it. I put my trust in his word. I tremble at it. God does it for you. He gave his son for you. And we have no idea what that really means, honestly. We spiritually were dead before Jesus, but Jesus came into our life, into our hearts, and brought us to life by his power alone. And as we abide and remain in that life, as we trust him and his word daily, he, he sanctifies us. He takes us through this process. Jesus takes the responsibility of producing fruit in your life. You are free of this burden. Have you ever wished, man, I wish I could change. I wish I could fix what's wrong in my life. You can't. But Jesus can and he will as you abide in him. Spend time in his word, believe it. Call upon him. That's abiding in him. He frees you of that burden. He's so good. Jesus knows that we could never do it. He never expected us to do it. How could something dead produce life? It's impossible. Yet that's what millions of believers are struggling with most daily. How do I produce fruit in my life when I have nothing inside, no resources? I don't even want to go to church. I don't even want to love people, and people just annoy me. 
How can I love them sacrificially when I hate them? Freedom from this comes by accepting the life of Jesus into your heart by faith, reading his words and believing them, hearing his deeds and believing them. That is faith. It's not about you. It's about him. And people come to me with a myriad of problems, and I am never intimidated by a single one. I am not worried about what your problem is. Oh, you're addicted to crack. I don't care. Jesus will free you. Oh, you like killing bees. Okay. Whatever your problem is, I don't know and I don't care. Jesus fixes. Killing bees might be a good thing, by the way. Right, Rich? That's right. He's allergic to them. I know it's good for that. We'll all die without bees or whatever, but Jesus will save us. Anyway, Jesus does some amazing supernatural miracles when we abide, when we choose to abide with him. And we have the glorious privilege of seeing one of those miracles today. A miracle. See, Jesus has this living ministry that that springs up, it springs forth from connection with Jesus himself. And we get to see one of his miracles today. We get to see some lives bear fruit today. We're going to actually see a new life created today, right before your very eyes. A brand new life. Like picture in your mind, Adam being breathed life into him and him rising up and being a new person. That's what we are going to see today. We're going to take two separate lives and he Jesus is going to supernaturally unite them to make one new life right here and right now. You guys ready? All right. Would Norm and Mandy please come up here? We have a really special, special thing today. He's upset about this. I think you have a a fan back there who's disappointed. You're going to be taken. So scoot up here just a little bit, right there. Scoot back just a little bit, right up there. Okay. You might think two people being joined together might be half as fruitful as one person. God might be able to use two people like to go two different places, but that's not how God works. He said, I'm going to make one person out of these two people, and they're going to be twice as fruitful as they could have ever been before. So we are all here today by the will of God to join Norm and Mandy in holy matrimony. God has brought these guys together using a a goat, I think. A sheep or something like that, an elk, I don't know. There's been lots of stories of how God has brought these guys together so that they can fill each other with joy and experience the life that God has for them. And we are all here to celebrate and rejoice with them, right? There we go. All right, would you guys pray with me? Scoot up here, Justin. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do here. We trust and believe your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. 
Well, quickly, I just want to explain that marriage is ordained by God. He came up with the whole idea, and he designed it. He develops it over time. He established it and defines it. And he did this way back in the book of Genesis. You know, he said, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And we have said that so many times about Norm. (laughs) And God said, it is good. I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. And the This shows us that marriage is a gift of completion. I'm sure you would agree. There's just been something incomplete. And then out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever uh, called each living creature, that's what his name was. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, all the birds, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So God gave Adam this little job of naming all the creatures, Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe, Mr. and Mrs. Dinosaur, and he didn't see anyone. I mean, the monkey was close, but no one that really was cute. And this is God making Adam aware of his need. It's pretty neat um, that the Lord did this in Norm's life. One day you woke up and you're like, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I need. That was the Lord's work in your life. In verse 21, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and as he slept, so he, the Lord took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. And the rib which with the, Lord, the Lord had taken, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And he said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So when you came to know the Lord, you felt so complete. But then the Lord said, you're missing something. I'm going to make you more fruitful. So we put you to sleep, and you woke up, and something was missing. And the Lord had taken what completes you, and he had placed it in her so that you guys can come together and complete each other. It's pretty awesome. So marriage is this gift of completion and now commitment. The, the picture of marriage is that you're going to bind yourself to her. She will bind herself to you till your death or till Jesus comes to take us home. And I'm very excited about either of those. Not your death, necessarily. But (laughs) if somehow you do die, I will do your funeral, and we will rejoice. I don't know, this took a weird turn. (laughs) But but Adam was put to sleep, you know? And it pictures death, because Jesus was put to sleep. And out of Adam's side, a new bride was formed, And out of Jesus' side, when he died, his bride was formed. And so what you're doing here is you're being in a picture, an example to everyone that's here of what Jesus does and who Jesus is. Not only in your love and kindness that you are filled with, but in your commitment to her. You're saying, I will die for her life. Jesus said, I will die so my bride can be formed. And you say, I will die so that my bride can be formed, so that she can have life. It's a good thing. Norman Mandy, you're supposed to illustrate God's love. 
And we are going to hold you accountable to this. Now, this is an impossible thing. Without the Holy Spirit that we've talked about today, you must abide in Jesus for this to be any sort of success. And I know you will. So it's completion, it's commitment to abide in him. And as you guys all observe these two making this commitment, know that Jesus is offering you his commitment as well. His commitment that he will wash you clean of all your sin. He will save you today. If you will but take his hand, let him be your savior. Let him be your husband. All right, I would like to read a couple of verses about our responsibilities that we are going to hold you to. Mandy, you're first. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their husbands in all things. I just want you to remember that the Lord values your husband and you're called and you're choosing to do the same thing, to value him. Even when he's a goober. Even when he, yeah. (laughs) You are to honor him and we will hold you accountable to this. Okay? Norm, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present himself her, himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Please don't wash her hair in dish soap. <laughs> he who loves his wife loves himself. Didn't know I knew about that, did you? Just kidding. (laughs) For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does his church. For we are all members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. And I just want you to remember that Mandy's been created with a deep need to be loved sacrificially. And it will not go away. And it will only grow. And you are the only one supernaturally enabled now to meet that need your love. And we will hold you accountable for this. We are all watching you. And she just needs to say a word and you will get a beat down. (laughs) Now for you both, it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and become one flesh. Now this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And their only problem that will ever come is when you start thinking she needs to do her job and you start thinking he needs to do his job before you do your own jobs. You're required to love your wife as a man loves his own body. Mandy, you need to place your husband as your leader and the head of your body. No matter what your wife does, how she treats you, how much she hurts you, the way out is always sacrificial love and leadership. That's the only way out. I don't see guys lopping off their leg when they pull their hamstring. And that's the, God, the picture God gives us. You care lovingly 
for the places that are hurt. Anytime she hurts you, it's because she's hurting. Mandy, no matter how dense your husband may get or be, no matter how self-centered or unloving or how much he works, the way out is always loving submission. It's the only road that you have. And it honors God, and God will fight for you. And sometimes submission just means duck so God can deck your husband. (laughs) I don't see many body parts falling off the body just because they think their head is an idiot. And all this is exactly how it works with Jesus and the church. The people he loved, the people he joined himself to, the people he committed himself to, they destroyed him. They beat him, and they were committed to bringing him down. And I don't think your wife will ever be that angry with you. And Jesus didn't look to get out of anything. He just loved. As a sheep remained silent before its shears, Jesus did not yell or freak out. So, in light of all this that we've just talked about, do you guys desire to get married? Yes. Please take each other's hands right here. There couldn't be two more different hands. Good thing. Listen to me. Do you, Norm, take this woman that God has given you to be your lawfully wedded wife to truly love her, to cherish her, to have her and hold her in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, and forsaking all others, keep yourself to her as long as you both shall live, or Jesus comes back for his church. I do. That is such a miracle you guys all have witnessed. <laughs> do you, Mandy? Let's hurry up this up. Do you, Mandy, <laughs> take this man whom God has given you to, lawfully, to be your lawfully wedded husband, to truly love him, to truly cherish him, to have him and hold him in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, and forsaking all others, keep yourself to him as long as you both shall live or until Jesus returns for his church? Mm-hmm. Norm, please repeat after me. <laughs> I, Norm, take you, Mandy. To be my lawfully wedded wife. To be my lawfully wedded wife. I do promise before God and these witnesses. I do promise before God and these witnesses. To love you as Christ loved the church. To love you as Christ loved the church. To be your loving and faithful husband. To be your loving and faithful husband. And give my life for you. And give my life for you. As long as we both shall live or until Jesus comes to take us home. Mandy, repeat after me. I, Mandy, take you, Norm, to be my lawfully wedded husband. I do promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful wife, to willingly submit as Christ has ordained, as long as we both shall live, or until Jesus comes to take us home. All right. Well, we have some rings that we're going to exchange right now. You guys got your rings? All right. Rings symbolize eternity. 
You know, you see these rings have no beginning or no end, and they symbolize the endless love that you guys are going to have for each other, and it's going to be your sign of commitment, a pledge and a promise, a tangible reminder of that personal commitment that you guys are making. So whenever you see these rings in your hand, you'll be reminded of your pledge and your covenant with each other and with God to love one another, okay? So first, Norm, take her left hand. There it is. And repeat after me. Mandy, Mandy. wear this ring ring. as a reminder of my love for you you. that is never ending ending. and abiding forever in Jesus Christ. Christ. For with this ring, ring, I marry you forever. Forever? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Marry you forever. (laughs) yeah put it on there you go there it is all right mandy take his left hand take his left hand left hand norm there you go repeat after me norm wear this ring as a reminder of my love for you that is never ending and abiding forever in jesus christ for with, this ring, for, this, with this ring, I marry you forever. I marry you forever. Forever, ever. Go put it on. All right. Nice try. <laughs> well, now that you both have agreed together to enter this bond of marriage and have given and received your vows and you have your rings, I can simply pronounce you man and wife. You may kiss your bride. <laughs> We're going we're gonna to pray for these guys, and then we're going to wrap it up for today. So you can hold each other's hands still. You're still, you're connected now. What God has done is he has made one life out of these two, and it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life personally. I have loved these two. I've walked with Mandy through very hard things. I've, I've seen Norm go from being a dead person to being one of the most alive persons I've ever met. And I could not be happier Right now, I could not be more excited about what God has for them. And so would you guys pray with me as we bless them? Father, we ask that you would bless these two. Lord, I pray that they would be so fruitful, that love, joy, peace, kindness, and long-suffering, and all the other fruits of the Spirit would abound. Because this is your life now. This life right here of this marriage is yours. And you are going to do some great things. We are so excited. And we are so asking you, Jesus, to just bless them. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you all. That is church for today. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.